in the midst of all uncertainty and upheaval and moral reprehensibility in our nation and in our world, isn't it wonderful to know that mm -hmm. Jesus never changes? Amen. And that we serve one that will never change. He will bring stability again. He will bring that same stability. And we certainly look forward to that. Well, as we continue through our study of the book of Revelation, uh, there are things that I have to reference, such as a seven-year tribulation and the halfway point through the tribulation and these different things and the Antichrist. And really, it, it, it can become a distraction if you don't have the information or your mind isn't refreshed on the information behind some of these things. And so this is to give us understanding, but also as we continue through Revelation, not to be distracted then by, well, where do you get that seven years? Well, where, where's this Antichrist, uh, all this information coming from? Uh, we're going to see a, a lot of these different passages. We're going to be in Daniel again. So you can turn to Daniel. We'll start there first. We're also going to look... Uh, briefly at Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then we'll end up, I wanted to get to Matthew 24, and we won't go through all of that. So I don't know if you keep fingers in all four of those books, but at least turn to Daniel for starters. Um, last week we gave you the information about where we find this seven-year tribulation referred to in Daniel as Daniel's 70th week, remember the 77s? 483 of those are accounted for in past history, but 77 is 490, and I know I'm not the best, math, best mathematician, but I did do that on my calendar on my computer, so I'm pretty certain it's accurate. Plus it was a map, so it had to be accurate. <laughs> um, but beyond that, uh, 490 years, so that leaves a seven, and that seven then is the seven-year tribulation that is still ahead of us and that we're uh, uh, considering that all of these judgments start taking place from the sealed judgments that we've already discussed to, um, in the next couple weeks, we'll get into the trumpet judgments um, and the bowl judgments after that. And those, all those will take place in the last part of the tribulation. So um, those of you that weren't with us last week, you can get more information with me about the seven-year tribulation. We'll get back into that, except, um, again, to go to Daniel chapter 12, verses 5 through 10. And then be ready to go back to Daniel 7. Um, we're going to look at the Antichrist here in a few minutes, and then the purposes of the tribulation. So verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank and on the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, these are two angels, obviously magnificent angels, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. These angels speak by the authority of God himself. That's where they get their, uh, their authority. 
and their truth. It, and he said it would be for a time, times and a half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. This gives us one of the purposes for the tribulation, and we're going to see more in some other passages as well. Uh, that, that time, times and a half a time, we covered that last week, that that is best seen as three and a half years. The last three and a half years of the tribulation, that's referred to in multiple passages as the Great Tribulation. Okay, uh, But the purpose is to shatter the power of the holy people. Well, who is that? That Remember, this Daniel, the prophecies, are um, pointed and are deciphered for the Jewish people specifically. Now, we learn from those as well, and there's application to, to the Gentiles as well in this, but the holy people would be God's people, the Jewish people. And God is using this time of judgment then, especially the last half of the tribulation, to bring, to finally break his people once and for all and bring them to repentance, to literally shatter them. And then Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. And I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time of the end. And then we read verse 10. So even Daniel didn't get the full understanding that we're even going to get tonight. Because he didn't have Revelation. He didn't have um, Matthew 24 in the words of Christ, in the words of Paul, in the Thessalonian letters. Um, but he had been given all that God wanted him to know at that time. So that's just some further information of the purpose of the tribulation and of the second part of this. Let's talk about the reign of the Antichrist. And let's go to Daniel 7, and we'll begin at verse 15. Again, I'm trying to simplify things. If you have questions afterwards, come talk to me. I'm not trying to cover everything in Daniel or in these passages, for that would take weeks. Not 70 weeks, but it would take it would take a while. But I want to cover some of the basics here so that we understand more of where we get all this information about the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is many times in Scripture referred to as a beast, uh, as the, the man of lawlessness, uh, and, and many other names as well. So in this portion of Daniel, Daniel has seen visions, and in the book of Daniel, when you get to his visions, there are four primary powers that his visions cover and explain. And in these visions, there's four major powers that come to rule over the earth. And the first one is the one that brought him to Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. In these visions, that is the first one that's mentioned. Then a second world power, and again, he's getting all this to know the timing of when the Messiah will come, when God's people will return to their homeland, and he's getting much more information than he ever expected here. But God is letting him know of these major powers that will have to come upon the earth before the Messiah comes, and then way to us, we know, way in the future, in his, um, in his second coming. To man, that's way in the future. To God, it's no time at all. So that, so God is giving him these visions of these powers to let him know what will take place before Christ comes. 
That second power then, after the Babylonian Empire, is the Medo-Persian domination, which he was currently experiencing at the end of his life. He saw the end of the Babylonian Empire, Daniel did, and um, was then under Darius and some of these others, the Persians. The next power after that is not one that Daniel would have experienced, but this would eventually come, and it would be the overpowering reign of Greece and Alexander the Great. And remember the one that he conquered the known world at that time and then supposedly wept that there were no more um, there were no more empires to conquer. And um, after he reigned, and, uh, then his empire was split up, fours and then further. And then the next great world power, because Daniel describes four beasts, four major world powers. So what would the fourth power be then? I'll throw this out to you to see, see how your prophecy skills are. The next thing. You got it, boy. You've been reading up on your prophecy. Well, it's not like a spell. Yeah. <laughs> well, why would, why would Floyd say Rome? That was the next major world power. Everybody uh, assents to the fact that after Greece and Alexander the Great, everything was kind of divided up, and there wasn't another major dominating power until Rome. Oh. So it just makes sense that that would be the fourth beast. And what Daniel is referred here to Daniel. So with that, let's go ahead and read a little bit, and we'll continue to talk about this. So Daniel 9, verse 15. I'm sorry, Daniel 7. Daniel 7, verse 15. And as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. He's saying these are four great dominating world powers that will arise. But don't worry, God's people will triumph in the end because they're God's people. Well, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. And all these, these crazy and disturbing images, the fourth beast was the most disturbing to Daniel. And it was one that stuck in his mind uh, after he'd seen these visions. And so he wanted to know more, which is understandable. He's seeing all these things and trying to comprehend what in the world they could be referring to. And remember, this fourth beast was different from all the rest. It was as strange as the other beasts were. This one in particular was more bizarre and more terrifying than any of the other images. He says, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. Now, all of that would be so far a good description of ancient Rome, historical Rome, and how it literally tore to pieces all other powers and dominated and um, stamped its culture and its way of life and its military over the people of the whole world. The whole world was affected by Rome. And so that certainly would fit this description. But now we get into another part of this fourth beast description that doesn't fit what we know of ancient Rome at all. Verse 20. And about the ten horns that were on its head. 
Now these horns are royal figures, they're leaders. Remember the, the horn, the whole issue with the horns are those that are in authority and have power, right? Uh, a horn was a sign of great power. So these 10 horns would be rulers. And the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. I mean, this, this terrifying beast, and then he has these 10 horns, and then out of the 10 horns, on one horn is this little horn that has eyes and talks a lot. Well, that would give any of us nightmares <laughs> and wonder, what in the world is going on here? Um, and he says, and as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed them over them until the Ancient of Days came. There's that focus on Christ. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. In the midst of this terrifying vision, Daniel's reminded, Messiah will come, and he will deal with all of this. And so he's looking, obviously, for an answer here. We're going to continue to look at a couple more verses, but let's just, that, that's a lot of information. Uh, let's just think through that. Um, those ten horns, the final details that were given for the description of this fourth beast, again, doesn't line up with the historical Roman Empire. There weren't ten rulers that came together to form an empire. Uh, even those that are shallow students of history know the Caesars um, like to have all the power to themselves. And they like to rule the whole thing, just one of them, well, one at a time, because they were kept on being killed off or, or going crazy or all kinds of things. But the Caesars were interested in all power being united and focused on one individual. They had no desire to unify with other kings. So if this is referring to um, a Roman Empire, then, then it has to be one that the world has not yet experienced. If there's going to be a coalition of kings that come together, and if and it seems, again, uh, from, from what we're looking at this and saying, this fourth beast, because of these other world powers, must be Rome. And Rome has, it's not Israel, it's not the powers of the east, but Rome was the powers of the west, the western powers. And so it seems best then to describe the ten western rulers of nations that will form a revived Roman Empire at some point in the future. And then this little horn that talks a lot. That means that he has power, but his power is in his speech. This is a man that is greatly gifted in his speech. And you remember um, the Antichrist uh, seal in Revelation that we looked at last week. The, the Antichrist was given a boat without arrows. So it seems to indicate that this man will be able to accomplish peace in an amazing way without having to fight, at least at the beginning of his influence and through his words he's going to accomplish much we have a lot of politicians in our country today that are very smooth with their words right we don't have any that can accomplish anything like this they would like to and we could probably think of, of politicians and presidents that we think uh, if, if there was a sign-up sheet for something like the Antichrist that they might be willing to do that but we know the Antichrist has not shown himself as of yet. 
So all those interpretations about Hitler being antichrist and, and whoever else, we'll just leave it there. Uh, those are obviously inaccurate uh, because of what will be described as the antichrist here in Daniel and the Revelation. So it says in that passage of Daniel that we already read that he will subdue three of the horns. Seems to indicate three of the mighty kings and so he has the power to subdue these kings and this will lead to a future fourth kingdom, the revival of the Western Empire, the revival of the Roman Empire and the Antichrist will have accomplished this and will be the ruler. Okay? Um, remember that he is the one that came forth to conquer per the first seal in Revelation 6. So he is one that's come on the scene and he's not, in, he's not interested in um, having peace without authority. So he'll conquer and he'll um, make, give his, he'll subdue somehow these other figures and be um, the main leader at the beginning of the tribulation. And he'll do so without little bloodshed. And then he will be in a position then as the dominant leader of this Western Empire to be the one to bring peace to Israel and make covenant with them per Daniel 9.27. Uh, let's look at that again. I know we're skipping around here. Bear with me, but look back to Daniel 9.27. Where he says, the Antichrist, and remember what he's referring to in verse 27, he, that's the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, right? So that's at the beginning. That one week is the seven years. We already we already secured that interpretation last week. And at the beginning of the seven years will be a strong covenant with many. And again, this is a Jewish focus. So the tribulation then will begin with this Antichrist, the leader of this Western Empire, accomplishing something with Israel that presidents that people have been trying to accomplish for years, right? <clears throat> Hundreds of years. And this man will be the one to do it. And that then will mark the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Okay? Now, that's a lot of information. Um, any questions or any, any insights? And remember, I'm not the world's best pro prophecy expert. Uh, but I'll do my best, and if I don't know the answer, I'll look it up for, for next week. Okay, but any any thoughts? I'm trying to simplify a lot of prophetic information is daunting sometimes. This Antichrist is going to have power that no other leader will have ever had before. <coughs> he will accomplish this. But the interesting thing as well is he will accomplish that peace with Israel but then he's also going to break that covenant with them halfway through the seven years and cut off all temple worship and that also is indicated in Daniel 9.27 and for half of the week he'll say that he's made peace with them and then he'll renege on that covenant on the last three and a half years of that week he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who is to make desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Um, 
Another thing to note, if the Antichrist <coughs> is putting an end to the God's people sacrificing and offering, uh, that means that they have a place to sacrifice and offer their, their sacrifices in. So that he can come in and he will he will set up some sort of statue or some sort of image and he will demand that people worship him in uh, the Jewish temple there. So this indicates that Israel will need to be back in its homeland and um, that a temple will have been built and reestablished. So reestablished in their homeland and able now to perform worship and sacrifices in their own restored temple. Well, back in the late 40s when Israel did the unthinkable in human terms and uh, reclaimed their land, those of us that have wisdom know that was a miraculous gift by God. God allowed them to, to be back in their land. And so, and that was something that people had never considered and, and was a shock to many people. And if you read some of the details, and um, I've read just, just a little bit of what happened, and the things that took place for Israel to be able to move back into their homeland through our president, which at the time was Harry S. Truman, and many other things that just had to come together, folks, you can just see it's a sovereign hand of God. This could not have taken place apart from God's work. In our, in our history, our modern history today, it really is miraculous. And how he's protected his people then in these different wars, I believe it was the early 70s, um, and, and continues to, to protect them. Uh, this is remarkable what God has done in reestablishing them. And the Antichrist will take advantage of that. Okay? The Antichrist then will desecrate the Jewish temple worship by instituting worship of himself. Now there's more to know about the Antichrist, but we're going to get into that. Revelation is going to give us more information that Daniel never got, especially when we get to Revelation 13. So there's, we'll get to that. And we're not going to try to cover everything about the Antichrist tonight. But that does give you a background in Daniel that's important for understanding of how he's going to operate and how he's going to come to power. Okay? Yeah, go ahead. As far as the, as far as the restoration of Israel, the state, the United Nations be one of those? It, it could be. I mean, there's all kinds of theories. Uh, there's... There's no Greek word in here that matches United Nations, obviously, the original Greek, so we're not told that for sure. There's, there's lots of creative ideas for how that could happen. That's certainly one of them. But we're, we're focusing on the information given in Scripture. Um, and it's, it's kind of it's interesting. and We have a lot of uh, creative people that have written a lot of interesting books, the Left Behind series, fictional and, you know, people have really enjoyed those, and, and Arden has read through most of that series and enjoyed that a lot. But I've had to remind Arden, you know, this this is creative. This is somewhat fictionalized. It's pretty accurate to what to our perception of the tribulation and our interpretation. But don't look at those books and go to your Bible and think you're going to figure out all that, uh, because. There's some, obviously, interpretational things and some creativity involved with those things. So I don't know if that answered your question. I guess I'm saying I'm not sure, Floyd. No. <laughs> yeah. 
Any other thoughts about the Antichrist? Or any any insights that you've had in your studies? He is one of the major figures of prophecy, obviously. And as the one that will try to be the alternative to Christ, God will allow him to have power. But the Ancient of Days, as Daniel said, will deal with him in finality at some point. Well, let's let's look, let's continue on with Daniel 7 then, verses 23 through 27. This will just buttress what we've already said. Thus he said. Give you a chance to get there. Daniel 7, verse 23. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, that's the Antichrist, there shall be a fourth kingdom. Oh, I'm sorry. The fourth beast is the power of Rome, as we talked about. There shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. And as for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. These are things that have not taken place yet. These ten kings, very powerful kings, will arise, but one will arise that's more powerful than them all and subdue the three, but this may also very well have the idea of subduing all of them. He shall speak words. Remember, he's very gifted in his speech. But this is at the point, in the midpoint of the tribulation and ongoing, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. Maybe that's why God is wiping the tears away from these saints that they've already um, had to endure this man and literally almost worn out. God brings them home, as we saw today, and they have rest, and he's able to wipe their tears. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Those are three and a half years. So he will reign and have great power in the last half of the tribulation, but it will only be for a limited time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. And that end there then shows us one of the great purposes of this tribulation time. That God's people will undergo intense tribulation. Now I'm saying God's people. I'm talking about the Jewish people. Because again, this is a focus on the Jews. And then um, God will give them power and give, and give them ability to overcome again. Shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, and their kingdom will be Christ's kingdom. And the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, will look upon him who they had slain, and they will weep and repent. And that is one of the main purposes, folks, for this tribulation. Isn't it? Amazing to think that it will take this much awful judgment for God's people. These people, these stubborn people, finally recognize that they were wrong. But they will. And they will turn to Him, and all dominions shall serve and worship Him. And so, 
as we finish up tonight, one more topic that I want then to talk about is the purpose and the timing of the tribulation that I've just already steered into. What is the purpose? And a little bit more of the timing here. Well, one of the purposes of the great tribulation, why it's so important, is God has said throughout his word that sin must be dealt with and that great judgment will come upon the earth as a result of sin. And all of this within prophecy, um, in context, you can't read this without understanding that there will come some kind of point at the end of all of time where God will dramatically deal with sin and judge it, and that has to take place. Go to the book of Jeremiah. I could go to many passages in the Old Testament for this, where it's referred to as the great day of the Lord. But these are two that make it clear enough that there must come a time of God's great judgment, a very specific, awful time of judgment for God to deal with sin. Jeremiah 25, verses 30 through 32. You, therefore, shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high, and from his holy habitation utter his voice, and he will roar mightily against his fold, Jewish people, and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth, against the earth itself, and all the people. And the clamor will resound to the ends of the earth. And we've seen in Revelation the judgment that literally goes to the ends of the earth before angels that are standing at the ends of the earth ready to continue the judgment. So, uh, I lost my place, sorry about that. This verse 31. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth. There we go. For the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farther parts of the earth. Now God has had many times of dealing with his own people in dealing with the sins of other heathen nations and dealing with the sins of the world, even the flood. But folks, there has nothing that's ever come upon the earth that fits this description of complete judgment upon the earth and upon mankind. We're still awaiting that. This is just one passage that describes this. And this then fits a time of great tribulation that the world has never seen that fulfills this prophecy. That is one of the purposes of the tribulation, to deal with sin and to deal with the rebels. But then also go to Jeremiah, verse chapter 30, 7 through 10. Rick read this this morning, and I just want to highlight this again. It shows the second great purpose of the tribulation through this judgment is again to bring God's people back to himself. Jeremiah 30, verses, verse 7. Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it, that great day of judgment of the Lord. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve. This is a promise. God's people, the Jewish people, shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, who I will raise up for them. Well, 
ultimately that's Christ. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him break. God's people will turn back to him, and he will bring eternal peace and rest and security for them. And this is the second great purpose, then, of this time's of judgment. Okay? One more here that gives us this, this same theme. Well, actually, technically two more. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, and talks this, another very specific prophecy that God will literally take the Jewish people from all of the tribes, as we saw today. These, all of the tribes will be involved. He will bring them back, even those lost tribes of Israel from the northern kingdom that were literally scattered in judgment. And today we still don't know who all the lineages and different things. God's going to bring them all back, and he's going to cleanse them and renew them and renew their hearts. So Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And that is why they deserve judgment, because they profaned the name of their God. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And, and folks, let's, let's be honest, they continue to do that today. As much as we uh, support um, the support of our country that we have toward Israel, these people still profane God. They're still rebels. They still need to be brought under uh, to submission. And God is going to do this because of his name, out of his grace, out of nothing uh, good found in them as rebels. And the same with us. The same with us. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. He's doing this to vindicate his name. And what, what, one of the great ways to do that is to take a people that have rebelled against you and through your sovereign hand bring them back to submission to you. Um, that is one of the many ways that God will show that he is sovereign and all-powerful. He can accomplish this. So here's our verse, even more specific, verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Here's a point I want to make about the Antichrist. Uh, Ezekiel's prophesying here at some point God will bring the people back together to their own land. That has happened. And we're now, could something else happen to the nation of Israel? Well, possibly, we, we don't know for sure, but it does seem as if the, the nation being back together is a fulfillment of what Ezekiel is saying here. But that second part of verse 25, that hasn't happened across the board to God's people yet. Um, they, there are many that will trust Christ, and we saw that in the 144,000 witnesses this morning. Those that will witness for Christ are from the tribes, these Jewish tribes. We describe them. 
but as a whole nation, um, this will take place at the end of the tribulation. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. All those judgments of famine will be no more in the millennial kingdom and in God's eternal kingdom. And the mystery here that, that we know today is that this promise just wasn't for the Jewish people. The Gentiles would also experience the same thing. The stony hearts that are made new, that are made living yet again, uh, to give them a heart of flesh, a heart that's sensitive towards the things of God. And in the church age, we get to experience that now. We don't have to wait till the end. But there will come a point where the nation as a whole will turn to back to Christ, to their Messiah, and they will all receive these hearts, sensitive hearts toward Christ, and that will be a wonderful thing. So, in their homeland, time's ticking away. God's working and doing amazing things. One more passage, Matthew 24. I told you we'd get to this. This whole passage comes this teaching after the disciples come to Jesus privately and say and, and ask him, when are these final judgments going to take place? Because he's described the temple being turned stone over stone. And that just had to blow their minds when they heard him say that. When are these things going to happen? And Jesus jumps ahead to what will happen in the tribulation and at the end times judgment. And this, this really just kind of... Um, supports everything that we've talked about so far from the words of Jesus himself, which again, he is our ultimate focus in all this. So Matthew 24, verse 3, And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them. Uh, now, again, this is a Jewish perspective. Jesus is answering um, his disciples are coming to him as Jewish people that want to know when the kingdom will be restored. They've been waiting for this. And so this is a Jewish perspective on this. And he says, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must, not, this must take place. But the end is not yet. And this can describe even our current time, where we, we do hear constant rumors of wars, where we see some of these things in microcosm that we talked about. I remember I gave you the headlines, the meteorite falling in Texas and people hearing the tremors, okay? The earthquakes that are taking place. Um, these wars, you know, Russia and Ukraine, these, these shooters that go into these schools and just take life, we see the tremors of what will happen in full form in the tribulation. And Christ told us, he said, don't be alarmed. You're going to see these things. And we have seen those that if they could have, would have exalted themselves as the Antichrist in history, recent history. And yet God has not allowed them 
There will come an Antichrist that God will allow to have that power, but there are many, and some think, I think this is accurate, that Satan in every age has a person that is ready to be the Antichrist, and he's just waiting for God's approval. Now, lots of people like to speculate on who those are, and we have to be really careful about that. But I do believe that, 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 that Satan does have those that are ready. And at the right time, God will let them have that power. So there will be many that say that I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, but those won't be the Antichrist. The end is not yet. What is the end? The tribulation, verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. Those seem to best describe the seal judgments that we talked about in Revelation. And then, as destructive as all of that was in the judgments of the seals, Christ says here, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. It's just judgments just getting ramped up. And the last half of the tribulation, as we continue in Revelation, will be terrible. And he says, at that point, then, the Jewish people, this is what you need to do if you find yourself in this great tribulation. This isn't for the church, because thankfully, folks, we won't be a part of this. Amen. And I'm so glad for that. And we should say, that's good. But he's saying to the Jewish people, you find yourself in this position, here's what you do. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Remember, the, the Antichrist will renege on his covenant and will try to uh, put God's people to death, and many Jewish people will lose their lives. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will go, grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now that sounds like a works salvation. That's why we have to keep in perspective, folks, we're not talking about the church at this point. Believers. And what he's saying is enduring the judgments will be saved. There will be, it seems, a few of those who will, will endure and get through this time of judgment unscathed and enter into the kingdom. But uh, those also will, will have relationship with Christ. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That may very well refer to those 144,000 witnesses that proclaim Christ in the very darkest of the tribulation. And then finally the end will come, and Jesus will wrap it all up. His people will accept him as king. And he will reign for that thousand years that we will reign with him. And then for all eternity. So here is the background for where we're at in Revelation at this point. There's a lot more that I could say, um, but we'll, Revelation will give us most of that. So I hope that this is helpful. And again, a reminder in the end, a good way to, to end this is to remind us the end will come. And Jesus willing, and we will look forward to that. Any other questions on, on that time frame and purposes of the tribulation?